So I'd like to speak to you this evening about tent making. Just so that you know, none of you are safe. I'm not asking you to do what I did, to leave a career and to go into missions. Uh, our God is doing things in the world where the world is changing, and we need to change with it. One of the greatest things that is fighting against us in missions today is that the church often is stuck with a 1950s model of missions, or perhaps 1850 model of missions. And we're not understanding that our world is changing critically, dynamically, very, very quickly, and we need to adapt and change with it. You can't stop water with a fork. All right, let's close in prayer. You can't stop water with a fork, but the water will look different than it did without the fork. The straight pour will be disturbed, but it will get through. You can't stop missions with government interference either. But missions will look different than it did without government interference. The smooth pour, the straight pour will be disturbed and change shape, but the gospel will get through. Most nations, like the 1040 window, the home turfs of Islam, Hinduism, and Buddhism, have been hard to enter, the creative access countries we've been talking about for decades. But visa restrictions have expanded across the globe in the last eight years. It is no longer just the 1040 window anymore. From what we can gather, about 10 years ago in the UN, a new visa scheme was proposed, and most countries have now adopted it. It is simply this. If you are coming as a missionary or a religious worker or a volunteer worker, you get one three-year non-renewable visa. That's it. It also does not start the clock ticking toward permanent residence. In order for you to get permanent residence, you have to work five years on a work visa for that to happen. And so we have had three, three families escorted out of Sweden, one out of Scotland, several missionary families out of South Africa that have been there more than a decade. The government shows up and says, you got 30 days to get out of our country, go. And so what's happening is we're starting to have to think differently. Are we going in on work visas? Are we going in on student visas? So countries are uh, giving us a hard time and a bit of an uphill. In addition to this factor, there's also the disappearing missions major, the closing of Bible colleges. Uh, Moody Spokane is closing this May. Grace College in Omaha is closing this May. A couple of years ago when I was here, three Christian colleges had just closed. Missions majors are often 1% or less than 1% of the student body at Bible colleges. Bible colleges are becoming liberal arts colleges in order to stay in business. Other great colleges and institutes are under internal and external challenges for having lost their way. And yet, oddly enough, at the same time, millennial students and Gen Z coming through, though they're not studying for vocational ministry out there in secular universities, often have this radical commitment to change their world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It has been rather odd, I will tell you, as a mission organization, to set up a booth at University of Georgia and Purdue and Clemson and to have to be rushed by 30 Christian students. I'm an engineering major. Tell me where I can serve Christ overseas. Not I'm going to switch my major and enroll at a Bible college, but I'm, I'm an accounting major. Really? Yeah, I'm in computer tech. What can I do? 
Well, you can teach computer tech in English in China right now. Have you ever thought of enrolling at Baval University in Luxembourg? They have a grad program that's totally in English. We're starting a church plant right there at the university. Dude, that's totally amazing. I can do grad studies in engineering in Europe. That is wicked. And they're getting ready to go, you know? So we're finding enormous energy. Now notice what's happening, please. And I'm not saying this is the sum and substance of missions. I'm saying this is a big part of the puzzle is that at the same time countries are closing to vocational missionaries, Christian colleges seem to be closing to vocation, training vocational missionaries. It is an odd thing. So just at the same time that we're going to be needing tent makers to get, get into these countries. So Christians are involved in more secular majors in Christian universities as well as going to secular universities. But still having this passion for missions. Added to this is this. Now regardless of what you think of the man, his person, his politics, that's not the issue. There is anti-American sentiment now abroad. There's targeting of missionaries. They're denying of visas to Americans. You deny our visas, we're denying your visas. In addition to this, there's a great shift in who is doing missions. In the past 25 years, the number of vocational missionaries has declined by 34%. The number of tent makers is up 600% to estimates, and it's hard to nail down tent makers, but Estimates are over 40 or 60,000 of them are out. Patrick Lai wrote in his book on tent making several years ago about 40,000. That number is up to 60,000. In addition to this, the number of foreign missionaries, that is foreign-based missionaries, is up 4,000%. Many of these are from the BRICS countries. What does that stand for? Brazil, Russia, India, China, Korea, that's South Korea, and South Africa. Russia is in red because Russia is not really sending out many. They're sending out a few missionaries, but not many. But Brazil is cranking them out. India is doing a fabulous job. Even though they are still a receiving country in many senses, they're sending out missionaries all over the place. China, obviously. Um, some 4,000 missionaries right now are, as far as we can tell in the house church movement, are getting ready to go abroad as missionaries from the Chinese churches. Uh, it's amazing. South Korea doing a fabulous job. South Africa now in the top 10 in sending out missionaries. Philippines also, but it's just really hard to say bricks. So we're going to leave it at that. Uh, we have a brother here from Egypt. He is uh, getting ready to start a training center to train more than 500 missionaries out of Egypt to the other 20 Arab-speaking um, countries in the Middle East and in North Africa. So... The world is on fire. It used to be in missions was the West to the rest. Amen, brother. If you don't get out there and do it as Americans, the gospel just ain't. Guess what? It ain't that way anymore. The question is whether we have passed the baton in missions to these other countries. The question is whether America will any longer be a significant part of the picture. We are training leaders. I agree with Steve. There is a lot left to be done, especially in Africa. Right now, 77% of the body of Christ is in Africa, Asia, and South America. If the rapture were to take place now, people that look like you and me would be in the vast min minority. But of those 77% in the body of Christ, 
90% of them are, have pastors that have virtually no training. And in some cases, we're finding pastors who are illiterate, who know the gospel. And our precious saints have been laboring sometimes for a decade. I was like, how do you do this when you can't read or write? Well, we meet with the other pastors on Tuesday. We study the passage, and then on Sunday, I teach the message. I gave him a big hug. Um, said, how would you like to learn to read and write? And he just got this tear, you know, in his eye. There's so much that we, we can do as Americans, but we have to be hitting the right buttons to say, I want to go to Uganda to be a, an evangelist. Uganda has the second highest percentage born-again population in the world. Kenya is number one. Uganda's number two. Agreed, lots of problems there. What they need is not evangelists. They need people equipping their pastors. So we have to touch the buttons in the right places. We can't just be getting this 1950s, 1850s view. I'm an American. I can go anywhere in the world. They need me for whatever I can do. That is not so. We asked the leaders in the Indonesian church, what can we do for you? They said, whatever you do, don't come here and do your own show. The body of Christ in Indonesia is strong. Talk to us. Find out how we can capitalize on your gifts, strengths, and abilities. And so I am saying that we need to start imagining missions differently. Look at this. This is just before Karen and I left for the mission field years ago. American missionaries were 80% of the show. Foreign missionaries, 20%. Today, it's the opposite. We are now 20% of what is happening out there. 80% of church planting around the world and evangelism is being done by believers in these other countries. So we need to imagine missions differently. We need to morph our understanding as we understand how our God is changing the world, perhaps realigning it for the end times. The guys in Indonesia are like, this is it. Our young people, they're coming through the teenagers and early 20s. They are the final generation. I get all goosebumps, you know, because I thought back in the 1970s, I was the final generation, but I just kept getting old. So it's like, Maybe we're still coming up. Maybe Jesus is coming back soon. Maybe this faith will put off and we'll see him face to face soon. And then all the discussion will be over and all the atheists in Seattle will say, shucks. <laughs> so our God is changing the world. And our God is also changing our ability to go. So we're challenging everyone who is trained in the gospel and in the word of God to consider going. Where every major is given one mission. Every Jesus follower enrolled in college, no matter what his major, no matter whether you're studying at Calvary or Clemson, is getting ready to live life on mission and considers post-grad studies or job placement in places where the gospel isn't, to live regular life on mission. This is uh, Garrett Helmick, by the way, uh, joined BMW after his junior year at University of Georgia. He is a business marketing major, landed a job with IBM, ow, getting really high pay straight out of the gate. He's also really good at the bagpipes, and he loves Scotland. So he's going to Scotland eventually. But see, right now he's got to work with IBM, but IBM has offices in uh, Ayrshire, right near uh, where we're planting Ayrshire Bible Church, and he wants to be part of that. So he has aligned his entire life in the secular marketplace to be involved with a church plant. Just saying. That's what's happening out there. Ricky Gimmel. This is not his name, and this is also not his picture, but... Uh, imagine missions differently where some Christians actually set up businesses in gospel-deprived locations just to add jobs and value to the community in the hopes of 
opening gospel conversations. This guy who I'll refer to as Ricky Gimmel is a goat breeder in Indonesia, east side of Java. He's a folk hero. He brought in the boar goats, you know, the big beefy ones, because they had really scrawny, yucky looking little goats in Indonesia, and they were trying to eat those things. And so he brought in these big ones, and they got a breeding operation going. He's led 300 people to Christ as a goat breeder. He says, you know how easy it is to transition a conversation from being a shepherd to, to the gospel? It's like, duh, you know. We're every Jesus follower working every day in every city and in the suburbs and on the farms and in the mines sees himself as a marketplace minister and considers moving the family to take a job in a gospel-deprived place overseas. This is our poster boy for tent making. Scotty Fries works with Amazon in Luxembourg. He graduated from a Bible college with a degree in sacred music. Good luck with that. He didn't land any job, so he worked at Starbucks for a couple of years, and then he thought, my mom is a Scottish national. I've got automatic EU citizenship. I'm going to go find me a job. And Christian Community Church has been planting in Luxembourg, and so he got a job with iTunes originally because he knows all things Apple, and they got him full pay, full benefits. It was great. But he also graduated very single, as did Katie, who was in piano performance. Good luck finding a job with that one as well. So she was an au pair working in Paris. And so there was this young adults convention, and they saw each other, and they fell in love in Paris. Their first kiss under the Eiffel Tower, maybe. Ah, but they got married, and now they have a baby. And Scott leads a young professional's Bible study, also does all the church music and worship, and preaches when the main missionary is gone. Do you think you could be in ministry while working right in the marketplace? I'm suggesting, yeah, there's plenty of evidence you can do that. So what I'm suggesting is that today the church is combining several ideas. Let me give you the big, big, big picture of missions, okay? The first big circle is the mission of God, Missio Dei. It's God working out his mission through nature, nations, miracles, and the church to build his kingdom. There's a lot more involved in that, Israel and everything else. God is working out his redemptive plan for all of hum human history. Within that is mission. That is, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life, to teach us brilliant teachings, but to die ultimately and of priority for, as a sacrifice for our sins and in our place. Died, was buried, rose again the third day, and is now triumphantly seated at the right hand of the Father, getting ready for the cue to return to earth not as a suffering savior this time, but as a conquering king. That is the gospel. The son said, as the father sent me, so I am sending you. And it wasn't you as in you missionaries, it was you as in all y'all, as in every believer, as in every Jesus follower. And so mission is believers living and speaking out the gospel to expand and strengthen God's kingdom. It is what all of us should be doing every day. This is where we get the kids' song, be a missionary every day, okay? That's why they sing that odd song. And all of us missionaries take offense at that because we're like, okay, if everybody's a missionary, then like, what are we? Well, in the mission sense, Jesus has sent all of us on mission. So if we're in the marketplace, 
We're right here at Edgewood and surrounding environs. You are living, you are supposed to be living on mission in that setting. But as a subset of missional living is also missions. That is churches sending out commissioned leaders to expand, strengthen, and cluster members of God's kingdom. That is what missionaries do. So be a missionary every day. I understand the sentiment behind that. Live on mission, for sure. But a true missionary is a person commissioned as a leader of the church to be sent out to reproduce spiritual communities in different places around the world. This is what we know as missions. The odd thing is that when it comes to tent making, it combines these two, which is really pretty cool. It's a double punch in taking the gospel cross-culturally overseas. So the church is combining the two. Christians in everyday professions are moving cross-culturally for the sake of Jesus and the gospel. So I'm not asking you to do what I did, to leave your career and go into missions. I'm asking you to consider taking your career with you. I'll show you how this was done in the New Testament this evening, explain some modern developments, and then you can prayerfully decide what God wants you to do. So, let's take a look at it. We're going to be in Acts, Acts chapter 18, verses 1 to 4. Now, the passage, uh, the first point is watching by vocational ministry. This is about Aquila and Priscilla, or uh, Aquila and Prisca, or Prisquila, as they still are called in this area of the world today, still popular names. Aquila and Priscilla, we know it took place in Corinth because the passage tells us. We know because of Gallio mentioned in the passage, the time is from autumn of 50 AD to the spring of 52. It's like that precise. It's really cool. Okay? So the text says this, Acts 18, verses 1 to 4. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. Let's pause there, and we'll come flesh this out a little bit. God, our Father, thank you so much for this awesome work you're doing in the world. And we are such a small part of it, but thank you for calling us to the small corner that you've given us. Um, some on foreign shores, Papua New Guinea and Central Africa, South, Southern Africa, different places that the missionaries here represent. But also, all these believers gathered here in this local spiritual community at Edgewood. I pray that you would stir them to understand that missions is not just out there, but it's right here. And there are actually missionaries who come to this state, and there are missionaries who come to these valleys. I pray that you'd help them to start living on mission if they're not. But even beyond that, Father, they would understand and perhaps be open in their heart to move even more cross-culturally for the sake of the gospel. If you have shown them more light, if they are students of your word, students of your gospel, and they're equipped, Father, would you stir them this weekend to the possibilities that exist of moving out further out of their comfort zone? 
and moving cross-culturally, taking the gospel where it isn't. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. It's quite a change. Um, Athens to Corinth is like moving from kind of like New Haven, Connecticut, the quiet little place where Yale is, you know, nice big oak trees and quiet, you know, philosophically lined streets to Las Vegas, okay? Very different. Corinth was a weird uh, it was beyond immoral. It was like amoral. <laughs> they had no, no, no idea of morality. In fact, when you lost all moral bearings in the Greek world, they said, he's Corinthianized. So they would actually refer. There was this term that, uh, how would you like your city to get that kind of terminology? It's amazing. It's interesting. The city isn't fun, but it's where the people are. We've already talked to a couple of you tonight about this. It's really fun to live in the suburbs. It's not easy to live in rural areas. And it's not easy to work in the cities. In the old days, we used to have a lot of farm kids in America. Back when farm kids actually went out and, you know, did physical labor. Now they drive $600,000 pieces of equipment and air conditioning with GPS, and it's hardly, hard to call them even farm kids anymore. Those farm kids used to go to Papua New Guinea, you know, and it was like no big deal. I'm used to this. But now everybody's gotten soft. Everybody's got iPods and iPads and we have really good coffee. Now, Indonesia does as well, but it's just this comfort thing. And it's so hard to move the cities. Number one, the cities are expensive. Number two, the cities are dangerous. Number three, the cities are immoral and I don't want to raise my kids there. And so the, the, the thing of kind of cloistering, homeschooling in order to protect the kids and families have a hard time thriving. Problem is, guys, if you're thinking old missions, you're thinking, let's all go to the bush. That's where the people are. It's not that way anymore. Since 1900, the changes, the movement to the city, almost half the world's population now lives in cities. So it's where the people are and often where we need to go. And the city is often where people are open to newer and crazier ideas, like the gospel, <laughs> where people, city is a place where people may need re authentic relationships even more, surrounded by people and yet friendless and alone. Cities are odd places. Aquila and Priscilla went to three cities. And today's believers need to go to the cities as well. It says that Paul met Aquila who had already moved cross-culturally. Um, unlike many people in the ancient days, Aquila got around. He lived in a number of different places, as is the case with missionaries out there. He grew up in a place called Pontus. Now, if you, Pontus is right up there, northern Turkey. Um, and you kind of say, okay, what's the big deal? Well, it was a pocket of early Christianity. Beautiful place, huh? There's a little mosque down there at the bottom, so they still need the gospel there, I guess. When uh, in Acts 2, Holy Spirit came down, and remember the guys got up and they started preaching, and everybody was standing there and the crowd mesmerized because they all heard the gospel in their own language, in their own tongue, men from Pontus. So it seems that from Pentecost there in Jerusalem, these guys went right back up home to Pontus, and they were like, man, you won't believe what we have seen while we were at, you know, coming to the Feast of Pentecost in Jerusalem and starting to tell about 
Christ. Many years later, Peter wrote a, a letter to dispersed Christians, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 1, to all those in the dispersion, to those of Pontus, number one on the list. Why did he put it number one on the list? Probably a pretty good-sized pocket of early Christianity. It says that they had um, recently come uh, from Pontus and that he was married to um, a woman named Prisca, uh, Priscilla. She's quite a woman. The only husband and wife team that is mentioned in the New Testament. And uh, she may have actually been the stronger since out of the six times in the scripture that they're mentioned, she's mentioned first. So she was, she was a woman to be reckoned with. She was a businesswoman and she was a woman who understood theology and the gospel. When uh, Apollo starts messing up later, later on, Aquila and Priscilla take him aside and explain the word of God to him more fully. So pretty neat woman. So they both did business and they both did ministry. They had a, a business of making tents. It was, I mean, think about it back then. People were constantly moving about back and forth, the caravan routes, all the trading business routes. You didn't have, you know, Hampton Inn back then. You popped up a tent and you uh, stayed for an overnight and then struck the tents and kept moving. So they made these tents. Now, it says that Aquila and Priscilla... Uh, came from Rome, it's possible that they may have already been persecuted for Jesus' sake. Kicked out of Rome in 49 AD. It's pretty cool. The Roman historian uh, named Suetonius, writing about 70 years after the event, writes this, quote, because the Jews at Rome caused continuous disturbances at the instigation of one named Crestus, which is kind of like the Greek name, Christus, um, Claudius, the Caesar, expelled them from the city. It's very interesting, and most church historians agree that this is way before Peter or Paul ever got to Rome. Already, Christians were spreading the gospel all through the Roman Empire, and it had gotten to Rome, and they were like, Mashiach, Yeshua was the Mashiach. He has come. He was in Jerusalem, and they killed him, but he resurrected again. That all the scriptures could be fulfilled, and uh, no, we don't believe this, and back and forth, you know how it was in the Jewish synagogues in the book of Acts. So the fighting back and forth, and it got so bad that the whole town of Rome was in a, an uproar, and he's like, you know, I'm tired of these Jews, out of the city, everybody. And so he kicked them out. And my guess is that Aquila and Priscilla were already believers. There's no mention of Paul reasoning with them or of them believing. So they lost their business. Wow had to pack up everything and leave. Really tough. They had a lot of options. Where did they go? Quiet little place? No, they wanted to go to another city, and so they, they went to Corinth. So Paul does tent making with them for a while. It's kind of unclear where Paul learned this skill, perhaps from childhood. It was a lucrative job that traveled easily, like ESL, English as a second language, that kind of skill, or nursing, or technology, computer tech, you can get a job in virtually any country with these kinds of skills. Paul knew multiple languages. He studied under a great Jewish rabbi, Gamaliel, and in his talk to Athens in Acts 17, he could reference seven different Greek philosophers. That's a, that's a big one for me, and I can't jump off on that rabbit trail for too long, but Obviously, you adapt the gospel presentation to your target audience. Paul was saved three years in the desert receiving revelation, came to Jerusalem. Nobody believed 
that he had become a Christian. They freaked out when he showed up. So he left and he went back up home where he was from, Tarsus. And he said, for 14 years, I was not known by the face to those in Jerusalem. Okay, so if you do the math, you figure he was back at home for eight to nine years. So my guess was in that silent period, Paul was like, okay, so I'm called to be the, God, to the, 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 the apostle of the Gentiles. I hate Gentiles. Okay, what does a Gentile look like? What do they think like? They don't think, I can't go using the Old Testament scriptures with Gentiles. They won't even know what I'm talking about. Most of them think that there are thousands of gods. Okay, and so he just started studying and became quite the scholar, I think, of Greek philosophy in order to be able to meet them on their own terms. So the point that I'm making here is that basically every degree is a key. Your God-given capabilities are gospel possibilities. Every certification, every teacher certification, certification in counseling, whatever, you can use these. In fact, they say most Americans can land a job in five to seven different professions in foreign countries. Not quite so with Europe, but in most of the rest of the world especially. So the best tent makers today, like Paul working with Aquila and Priscilla, they work in teams. A guy named Patrick Lai, who literally wrote the book on tent making, did interviews with more than 400 tent makers. 93% of tent makers work on teams. 81% met once a week with that team. 67% were accountable to the team's leader at least once a month. The best and most effective tent makers, like Scott Fries in Luxembourg, work together with a vocational missionary. It's a great one-two. Because often, the tent maker will have openings and abilities to network with the lost all out in the business community. So Paul worked in this trade temporarily, but often. You'd actually be surprised all of the passages where Paul mentions his rights to receive pay as a missionary, but how he worked for the reasons that he mentions in different passages. We believe that he worked as a tent maker in this particular case to give him time to analyze the culture. He was rattled when he got to Corinth. It's hard to imagine Paul being rattled, you know, Mr. Tough Guy, Mr. Right Out There in Your Face, Mr. Traveling. But what happened was when he got to Corinth, um, you know, if you have a red letter Bible, I used to love red letter Bibles when I was a kid. I wasn't a very intelligent kid, but I used to like Matthew 5, 6, and 7 because it was all red letters, you know, the Sermon on the Mount. Anywhere Jesus speaks, it's in red letters. You don't find a whole lot of red letters in the book of Acts, but in Acts chapter 18, you do. The Lord Jesus actually appeared personally. He didn't even, didn't even send an angel. He said, go on speaking and do not be silent. Basically, don't be afraid. No one will harm you. I have many people in this place. Paul got freaked out a little bit by Corinth. It's a good thing to know. A lot of missionaries move cross-culturally, and it's like, this is a whole lot more different and more weird and more scary than I thought it was going to be. It's good to know that we have Paul as an older brother who also felt this. When he writes in Romans later on, he'll give this greeting to Aquila and Priscilla, and he says of them, who risk their, their necks for my life's sake, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles. It's amazing. We don't know what happened with Aquila and Priscilla, but something happened here where his life was in danger, 
and they kind of took him in and they protected him. So he's, he's trying to do a read. He's going to stay 18 months in Corinth. It's not an easy place. Normally, he was hitting the synagogues, appointing elders and of those who believed and moving on. But this place was different. Secondly, he worked as a tent maker in order to do gospel ministry without charge. He mentions that in several passages. To set an example of Christ honoring work. Thessalonica had a problem. They had a lot of people on the dole. And he thought, well, if I come in just saying I'm supported from somewhere else, they'd be like, oh, we want to be like you and be supported from somewhere else. And then everybody would, you know, be trying to be the same as Paul. So he's like, can't afford to do that. Got to read the culture. I've got to get a job. So he actually worked most of the day and then shared with them in the evenings. Worked himself to the bone in Thessalonica. Really, really worked hard. Also to help the needy. It's fascinating. He mentions that we worked so that we were labor of our hands that we might give to the poor. So fascinating. He was doing it and also training others to do it. From a modern perspective, we also feel that tent making uh, gives us greater contact with non-believers. Uh, if you go in a place like Sweden and you sit at home during the day, they're like, what, what do you do all day? Well, um, I'm like a Bible teacher. Really? What school do you teach at? Well, no, no, we don't really have a school. We're just kind of starting to try to, you know, try to explain your way as a church planter. And the Swedes are kind of looking at you and like, if you're not working in the marketplace, you're not paying any income taxes, which means you're a drain on our system. What is wrong with you people? And so you actually become viewed as kind of like a plague. So having a job is actually a really good thing in a lot of cultures because they don't understand this missionary thing. And then also, it gives us creative access to difficult nations, to closed areas. So tent maker, a tent maker, what is it? A Jesus follower called by the Spirit and sent by the church on a mission to expand the kingdom of God by taking or making a job in a gospel-deprived location to do marketplace ministry. It's not merely an expat evangelical. It's not, I'm not saying... Just be a Christian who lives in Germany. I'm saying your life is purposefully missional in what you're doing. In fact, oftentimes the best tent makers, even though they don't have support from a church, they come forward and you put them up here and you bring your elders around them and you put your hands on their shoulders and you pray for them, commission them, and expect for them to stay in contact with you. If they're in Europe, they won't need really supplemental income. If they're in a third world, they will often need supplemental income which your church can pick up and support. A lot of churches are like, so you're getting a job over there, but you're raising support? How's that work? You're getting like two sources of income? Well, yeah, but what they pay me in Indonesia, you know, is not even, I won't even be able to have airline fee to get back after a while, you know? So could you help out? So not merely an expat evangelical. Tent makers should be viewed as a bivocational missionary. You say, this is, this is really cool. This is like new. Actually, it's really old. For the majority of church history, this has been the rule, not the exception. Although Paul and the apostles, and the ones sent out by the early church, received support, the main way the gospel spread for 1,800 years was through Christians in the marketplace who traveled or relocated. Look at Paul. Paul is working his way westward, right, across the Roman Empire. Claudius uh, has already kicked out Jews because of Christ, the whole th issue of Jesus in Rome. Paul's not even worked his way there yet. But there are people who have jobs just like 
You do. And they were out there spreading the gospel. They had a business trip. They were spreading the gospel on that business trip. So this has been the rule. Hundreds who became new believers in Jerusalem at Pentecost just went back home. This is how the Antioch church started as well. People just went away on business, some from Cyprus, some from Cyrene in North Africa, and they just started mingling around. As they traveled around, they spread the gospel. In fact, the father of modern missions said this, we have ever held it to be an, an essential principle in the conduct of missions, that whenever it is practicable, missionaries should support themselves in whole or in part through their own exertions. So, if America tanks and we're in South Africa and the economy goes belly up and y'all are in a bad way, uh, drop our support like crazy. But um, South Africa has a combination of Roman and Dutch law. That's pretty weird. So being a lawyer in South Africa, I'm going to have to do some work uh, to retool myself in order to do ministry and law at the same time. I suppose it could be done, but. So interesting how popular tent making has been all along. William Carey had four different careers in addition to being a missionary in India. Most people are not familiar with that. So Aquila and Priscilla, observing the Apostle Paul, now they get involved with actually doing it. We look at Ephesus, spring of 52 to the summer of 54. They had watched Paul and Jesus' followers start meeting in homes. You see that in verse 7 in the text if you look further. They watched it for 18 months. So they had seen how missional living works, that business people can actually do ministry as well, that all of life and work can be gospel-driven, scripturally-based, spirit-filled, and sacred, that right living includes reasoning with people about the gospel almost daily in the marketplace, and that the church can thrive just meeting in homes. So Priscilla and Aquila were, were different. Paul was your classic tent maker. He took a job, okay, uh, Priscilla and Aquila are what we known are what are known as bammers. Okay, so there are three kinds: job takers, job makers, and job fakers. A tent maker is a job taker, so he goes and he gets a job. It's a little iffy in some places because you, as an American, are coming in and taking out a local job, and it's like, ooh, do we really like that? So a lot of guys go over as job makers. A bammer is somebody who is involved in business as mission. Believing that business can help accomplish the mission of God in the world, speaking the gospel and modeling the transformation the gospel brings, creating more jobs, and adding value to the community. It's difficult. In America, 90% of the small business startups fail. So these guys, bammers, instead of raising support on a monthly basis, they come and they are trying to raise $100,000 in startup capital for their business. And then they go and create that business overseas. Uh, in Indonesia, they could use nurses right now. They said, oh, we could use nurses all through our university system. You just teach in English and just travel with our nurses and train them and help them. So you have an opportunity in the whole medical community. Then there's also job fakers. Job fakers are risk takers. Not really good. This is like, well, actually, we're going to Jordan as tractor, farm tractor salesmen. There are 16 families going as farm tractor salesmen to the country of Jordan, which is mostly dust. Don't ask me how that works, but they went. And a few years later, they were kicked out of the country because they had sold one tractor in three years. Well, everybody knows that 16 families cannot live on the sales proceeds of one tractor. And so the Jordanian government said, 
Salam and get out of our country. And so they kicked out these 16 families. You gotta be careful. There is an ethical component to tent making. When you say you're going to do something, you actually go and do it. Now, you might only do it part-time, and the rest of the time you might be doing other stuff that has to do with ministry. So Paul now pulls Aquila and Priscilla with him across to Ephesus. Third major city, Rome, now Corinth, and now moving on to Ephesus across the water there. And they're going to go start to plant the church in Ephesus. Aquila and Priscilla had the knowledge and the personal skills to take Apollos aside and explain Jesus' coming. Apollos had only heard that, Je that the Messiah was coming, and he was preaching the baptism of John. But they came to him, and they're like, whoa, you missed, like, okay, you haven't heard what happened? And they explained to him the whole thing about Jesus, and Apollos was like, wow, that's swell. I think I'll teach that instead. It was a good story, which was great. When you got an eloquent guy, it's good to have him on your side. So the, it's interesting, they, they had the theological chutzpah to be able to come to Apollos and say, look, we need to tell you some stuff. And so they had theological depth. So tent makers are not just, hey, just believe in Jesus. They're not real surfacey, just gospel people. They got to be able to disciple the people they lead to Christ and even take them deeper in theology, correcting theology that's an error. So one of my roles at BMW and finishing up before I head out, we head out in August, is developing a whole tent maker training curriculum. So we have in July two weeks of intensive training. And for the first four days, vocational missionaries and tent makers are together. And then they split because the needs and requirements and the training for tent makers is unique. Uh, the world that they live in is difficult because you are, you got this tent making schizophrenia. What am I? You know, am I working for Amazon or am I working for BMW for, or my mission agency? It's like, which am I doing? And the truth is you're doing both. How do I hold my life together and keep my family together in that, under that kind of pressure? So, cool, fast forward two years. And what happened was Aquila and Priscilla are hosting a house church in Ephesus. Paul came back to Ephesus on his third mission and he uh, saw Aquila and Priscilla and he's like, whoa, so you got one going in your own house or tent, who knows, probably a house. Um, and he got some bad news. Paul got some bad news about the church back in Corinth. And that's when he wrote 1 Corinthians from Ephesus. And he says at the end of 1 Corinthians, the churches of Asia, that's Turkey, send you greetings. Aquila and Pris Prisca, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. And I'm sure the people back in Corinth were like, cool, now they're hosting a church in their house. That's pretty neat. Well, fast forward another three years. Paul has gone to a different place. Aquila and Priscilla are back in Rome hosting another house church. This is about A.D. 55. Church at Ephesus was on solid footing. Timothy was the leader there. John would later come. Paul decided to leave Ephesus, and he traveled slowly overland to Corinth, and he made a plan to sail to Rome. And he said, I hope to come there, but for right now, I'm just going to write them a letter. And so he wrote the book of Romans. And at the end of Romans, he said, Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church that is in their house. 
So pretty cool, these tent makers. So what? Well, you can serve God with your whole life. Missions is not just for vocational missionaries. Most Americans can land three to five, sometimes they say up to seven different careers overseas. So how might your intended career, uh, how might you use it to bring the gospel into dark places? Marketplace ministry could in fact be the future, especially if the economy would crumble for some reason. So it's not just about us. It's not just about vocational missionaries. It's about you. I want you to remember in missions, in fact, it may be your turn to go. Let's close in prayer. God, our Father, thank you for Aquila and for Priscilla. Thank you for them being students. Just watching, perhaps watching for a long time. And then actually getting involved. Where they didn't need to live and learn in Paul's shadow anymore, but they stepped out. And they decided to begin a church on their own. Hosted in their home. Continue on with their business. Praise you for this couple that never left the marketplace, but were involved with three different church plants. I just praise you for their example. I also praise you for the some 60,000 tent makers that are out working around the world. Father, sometimes they're working much, much harder than vocational missionaries because they're trying to keep a job together as well as help the planet church. I praise you for them. I praise you for the sacrifice that they make. Pray that you would protect them from burnout and that you cause them to find the right balance and to be effective for you. That they would not lose their kids. That they would win them first and foremost as their most precious disciples. That you'd also show them the way to, to keep the proper balance. And so, Father, I pray for these who are gathered here that they would not summarily exempt themselves from your call, that they would not assume that because they are in a secular profession that surely the God of heaven would never lead them to leave and to move cross-culturally. So I pray that every heart would be open this weekend, that every heart would ask whether you would send them. They would be ready at any time to go anywhere and do anything. Because life is about the mission. And our careers are incidental. And so I pray if you leave them right here in this place around Edgewood, that at the very least you would radicalize them to live their lives on mission from now until the time you take them home. But Father, maybe call some to leave and to move cross-culturally. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.